0: You're listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Good evening, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and thanks for joining me for the Geek Saga Show. This episode is called When Fandom Goes Too Far, The Curse of Toxic Fandom and How We Can Battle It. And it is an in-depth look at experiences I and my guests have had with toxic fandom, how these experiences changed us, and the way we perceive our fellow fans, and how we moved beyond the toxicity we've encountered. I'm joined by Becca, Emmett, Fareed, and Paul. So why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves in that order? You know, just share your name, any social media handles you have that you want to share, um, websites you want to highlight, whatever. Keep it, you know, like two minutes or less per person. (laughs) Hi, I'm Becca.
1: Um, I am a writer and I'm also a website host or webcast host. Um, I work for the Geeky Area. I do uh, a lot of uh, queer inclusive media uh, reviews. I also run uh, Help run the Bitching Dead. Uh, with Tara and Fareed, which is a very critical uh, webcast of the Walking Dead uh, franchise. Um, And I have a lot of feelings about fans. You can also find me at Starshine on Fire. Um, I'm currently private on my uh, handles, but you can just request a follow and I will accept it.
2: Hi, Uh, my name is Emmett. About 5% of the creative work I've done over my entire lifetime Uh, has to do with Star Trek. So that's what people actually most know about me. I've been a um, sound engineer, producer, and composer for Star Trek products on the franchise for over 10 years. Uh, It's been a very, very long time. I'd like to say I'm in my third five-year mission at this point. Um, I got together with a group of friends uh, when we saw how toxic and crazy a lot of Star Trek fandom was. And we were like, wow, we can really do better. So we started our own, and it's going very well. You can find that at trekfan.org.
3: Hi, yeah, I am Paul Jenkins. Uh, I have been in the entertainment business uh, for quite some time, so that now this is why my beard is gray. Uh, I have uh, done everything from working for the Ninja Turtles. I was one of the first employees there. Um, Also uh, helped rebuild Marvel and its content uh, in the mid to late 90s. Um, Been at DC. Uh, So I basically have created across all media uh, for many years. I've lectured at a number of futurism conferences. I've chaired an advisory committee for the governor of Georgia on digital interactive and filmmaking. So I kind of have an extensive resume of being in the public eye, uh, dealing with fans and sort of seeing fan behavior. So that's me.
4: Hi, my name is Riegel Hug, and I am a writer for The Geek I cover a whole lot of stuff, uh, and inclusive uh, stuff. And as far as my books are concerned, you can check up, you can check my fictional novels published under the pen name AJ Raven at a rate of 10 to 1990, if you want to find me on Twitter and read some of my messy tweets. So yeah, and I also, of course, uh, co-host The Bitching Dead with Tara and Becca for The Geek
0: Okay, so just to... Give a bit of an introduction. Uh, well, toxic fans have certainly always existed as with just about any subject, the internet and then social media gave wannabe keyboard warriors a place to air their grievances with little to no fear of repercussion. And it also made them easier to surround themselves with a veritable army of followers in some cases. So I just wanted to start by talking about fans versus creators or fans versus the things they love and give a couple of famous examples. Uh, the first one I'm gonna give is Voltron fan sails the good ship Blackmail. Back in 2017, some fans of Voltron Legendary Defender took a tour of Studio Mir, and they took unauthorized photos of confidential storyboards and then posted them on the internet. Now, many of these people removed their photos after finding out that Studio Mir could get in trouble with uh, DreamWorks, their partner, over the leaks. But one fan refused because they wanted their ship uh clants to be made canon so uh basically saying like i'm not going to take my pictures down unless you make my ship canon of course dreamworks Mm -hmm. was like yeah no no no, we're we're ignoring this and eventually everything died down um but the situation as a whole painted shippers in a very bad light and uh don't worry we will touch on personal experiences some of us have have had with ship wars a little later more recently and I'm not going to get into every single example of this because it's kind of one lump sum. There's been a lot of fans having absolute conniptions over the casting of people of color in their beloved franchises. There was certainly a little bit with Game of Thrones and uh, even the more recent casting of the new show House of the Dragon, but more so a lot of drama around Wheel of Time and the new Lord of the Rings show for Amazon. Now that's you know just an entirely large thing in and of itself, but it's very much fans are fighting with each other about it, but they're also going after the creators. You know, this isn't this isn't my Lord of the Rings. This isn't my Wheel of Time, etc. So I thought it was a good example to touch on real quick, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then Becca, you had uh, a big thing regarding 100, correct? Yeah.
1: Um. So with the 100, this was gosh, how many years ago is this? A lot. Um, a lot. <laughs> six, many, many years ago. Five, yeah. Six, something seven, like six five. Yeah. Six seven years ago um jason rothenberg made the decision to kill off uh, alexa who was a queer icon in the 100 um and uh, he also killed off lincoln who is a character of color a uh, man of color as well um that uh, started a backlash one against against jason uh who we called affectionately Jay rat because he's a rat um <laughs> and um that started this anger feeling against him but also it turned out that there had been a lot of bullying on set of Ricky Whittle who played Lincoln um, and who's the character who had, who, had, who had died and he had requested to be killed off because of all the bullying from the executive producers uh, like Jason. The absolute just shit hit the fan, um, especially with Klexa and to the point where there's actually a convention now called Clexacon, um, where queer women can have a safe space just because of the backlash from killing off this queer character
0: yeah listen sometimes uh, creators need to be questioned I'm uh, certainly thing, not and saying he, that they and shouldn't
1: he, he, issued, he issued an apology to fans yeah, which really did. was not an apology at all um, it basically was like I'm sorry that you're upset but I'm not sorry I did what I did and he kind of was like you know I'm the all powerful creator I can do whatever I want and yes well you do have the power the creative power because this is your show at the same time you do have to understand that there are things that you should not do as a creator like killing an LGBT character for the lulls basically um, he had no reason to kill her off. It was. Even though he, it was it was very bad. it was very um, very bad. the reception was horrible. his reaction was even worse um, it was just very ugly in general and you know I respect I respect writers and creators who who do what they do, but in this situation it was not cool.
0: I've been lucky so far as a creator myself and that I've experienced very little toxicity from fans of the things I've put together. What little I've dealt with has been surrounding my conventions. And even that was almost always due to situational drama or extreme outside forces, COVID, versus overall toxicity, except perhaps some of the nastiness I experienced when I ran a Kickstarter for my Steven Universe convention, Beach City Con, <laughs> because we are consist- yeah, we consistently being compared to Dash Con.
1: Even after we pointed mm. out, you know, yeah. to
0: people that our website,
1: Kickstarter,
0: yeah, yeah, like we, we pointed out our websites to people that detailed my. I mean, at this point, I think I'd had like six years of experience running convention, like single fandom conventions, and and other experience running a ton of other events, also like more local events. You know, so yeah, that that was an interesting time, but I've been lucky generally uh, as a creator. Now that said. And this is probably mostly for, you know, Fareed as an author, Emma as Star Trek audio drama producer, et cetera, And Paul, of course, as well as a writer, editor. Have any of you had experiences with toxic fandoms as a creator?
3: Yeah, I've had, um, <clears throat> I've had plenty of experiences. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's not just a necessarily whether a fan is toxic or whether it, it almost might be that the discourse or the dialogue or the the environment is toxic, right? So, you know, without, I think in a little while, we'll probably get into more into the psychology of fandom and why people are, you know, act the way that they do. But, you know, I can give you a number of examples. So one of them is um, I worked at Marvel and, and made a lot of their content for a long time. And one of the things I did was Civil War for them, right? So I was working on a book and, and When we came up with the content and we were sort of looking at the way that the story would be told, one of the things that Marvel understandably said uh, was that they wanted to make sure that it was presented. You know, there were two sides to that story, right? If you think of like the way Civil War story was told. One side was like the pro-registration side, people that agreed that superheroes should be registered, and the other side was the anti-registration side, and one of them was headed oh, up yeah. by Iron Man, and one of them was headed up fiction. I'm getting March flashbacks.
4: By, I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> <by Captain> <laughs> Civil
3: War! <laughs> <laughs> right, and so, and so, you know, one of the things that they asked me was, you know, can I t- try to avoid any political stuff? And, and I did, right? I don't care about politics. I, I grew up as a like in the punk era in Great Britain, so politics is bloody shit, and um, so uh, you know the the, the the what happened very quickly was that fans decided that Iron Man represented the Republican side and Captain America represented the Democrat side, which I didn't understand, but they had. Mm-hmm they had decided for themselves that that was the case. And so in my experience, I remember writing a character, um, and she was a, a reporter for a relatively left-wing kind of like liberal magazine. Um, and, and she, as she went through her side of the story, and it was very much like man on the street version of, of Civil War. And, um, and many people attributed that to me. So they basically said that character represented my political views. And it really didn't matter what I said in response. I don't do politics. I don't care about that stuff. I'm not interested. It, all, all, it, all it showed was that she was a compelling and interesting character because apparently I'd written her correctly because she came across as being the thing I intended her to. But one thing that was very interesting to me was that she was a central focus of the story for a little while. And at a certain point, she kind of encounters a character that, for the sake of argument, is like a John McCain type character. And she's very left wing in her political beliefs. And she challenges the guy and the guy actually proves her wrong. And so all of the five or six issues out of maybe 11 that had led to that point, you had thought that her perspective was correct. And then he actually showed her she was incorrect. Not because I had any particular political things to say about John McCain or Republicans um, or that, you know, it, it wasn't that one person was right or wrong. She just happened to be wrong about something. Well I had watched a load of toxicity being attributed to me online uh, where fans would sort of say like Jenkins is a liberal Jenkins does this, he's intending to pr- promote a liberal worldview. And then when I collapsed that liberal worldview in the story and in fact the the more Republican character actually proved to be correct in the story, nothing crickets right nothing to be said there's no there's no climb down from from fandom, right They don't say, Oh, man, I, I actually appreciate where Paul Jenkins was going with that story. Uh, I get it now. And none of the Republican people who had been complaining sort of stepped up and said, wow, he was on our side all along. Or even said, that's that to me. It it, it, it turned the worldview upside down. They realized that, that no one had been correct about what we were doing with that story. If anything... It it was just silence, and I've experienced that before, and I'm sorry to keep just making it uh, my experiences, but when I wrote a book called The Inhumans from Marvel, it it did really well, and and it uh, won an Eisner Award, Um, and they hadn't won one for a long time, so they were really excited about the way the book was going. I didn't know what would happen. The first book came out fine. The second book came out. It was like the internet exploded. We were the greatest comic book that had been written since Watchmen, and I'm like, it's just a comic book. Like, How did that happen? (laughs) So it went on and it went on and it was all positive. There was nothing wrong. There was no one complaining about the Inhumans. And what I noted was round about issue nine that I thought was my favorite and the one that I really thought they would love, nothing. They had nothing to say. So, Fareed, this is why I mentioned uh, pre-show that I think there is an equation for this. I think that when you look at the amplification of, of opinions on the Internet, you can go to any message board, pick one, pick the Cleveland Browns message board or anything that has to do with fandom. And if you go in, you'll find that 85% of comments are negative because that gets a reaction. 5% are positive because that doesn't get a reaction and 10% are neutral. And, and that's what I noted was that with The Inhumans, it was a wildly successful book. It was selling out. People loved it and they continued to love it. And if anything, it grew as we went along. But the the chatter and the conversation about The Inhumans because the people that liked it had already said they liked it so i think that what you're seeing here is that negativity is almost guaranteed to create a reaction and when people get a reaction they think that their worldview means something more than it actually does that's like a
2: a huge deal and it's try to it's something that i do try to tell fans once in a while um mainly is that just as as a creator they don't have to answer the questions that we have to answer every day they don't have to uh, um uh report to the same people they don't have to keep a a bunch of things in mind when they're thinking you know when like i have to know that i'm working on a very very large you know billion dollar franchise and that means i have to get things done on time and under budget and that is what's going to happen i don't care what has to happen for that to be true but that's going to happen but i've had years and years and years you know i did You know i i wrote and produced radio and tv commercials for a shady basement waterproofer for like (laughs) less than minimum wage for a long time and that's the kind of stuff you have to do to get a job like the one i've got and the 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 pressures are very very different and if someone's at home reading comic books they're like i could write a story better than this and i'm like good god i wish you would (laughs) that would be lovely um, I, do I, so think I don't have to do it a million times over it, and they're they they get invested and Star Trek has a really really big problem with this early toxicity because Star Trek was you know brought back by a letter writing campaign to NBC and you know that wasn't really as grassroots as it seemed it was but fans felt invested in this now that they could you know keep a show on the air or or or, or change people's minds and get support at the network to, to to make a difference. And the truth is they just can't. I wish it were the opposite way. It is very, very, very difficult to kind of get yeah, that Yeah, you know, what, I, thing
3: done. I'd love to add to that as well, I meant because um, one thing that, you know, what, what fans think their influence is um, and what it actually is are somewhat different. Um, so I can remember... In, um, orders of magnitude, right? Orders <laughs> of magnitude, yeah. And so yeah. our job our job is to deliver something professionally and, and my personal job is to want to deliver it uh, with a sense of sort of like professional excellence, right? And just to you know make sure that you create the material and it goes out. And so when you work for Marvel or, or Disney, uh, Sony, Warner brothers, uh, 2K games, any of the ones that, that I work for that, you know, they you're not allowed to deliver it half-assed. You can't deliver it late You, you that you, you don't have a job if that's the way that you deliver it's content. not an yeah. option.
2: You'll, you'll, you'll work right. at, you know, GameStop. Like right. That's- and so, <laughs>
3: and so i remember um when we were about to do civil war actually that's a good good example again right um i was with the editor-in-chief of marvel joe Casada. and we were at his house and we were going to meet another creator garth ennis at a a pub and it was like six or seven blocks and we thought well we'll walk and joe put something to me and asked me if I could do something. And it, and it was this character called Speedball. Now, one of the advantages I have in doing uh, comic books, for example, was that I don't know anything about comic books. Um, and it seems crazy, but I was never a fan of stuff. I don't have much of a fan mentality of anything. Um, so I didn't really know what I couldn't do. And I had my own unique voice for stuff. That's why we were able to make Inhumans work. So Joe said to me that the biggest problem that he had, or a lot of late chatter just before we did Civil War, was about this character Speedball. Because the fact is that every time they had tried to do speedball, they had never succeeded with it. Um, and the fans would go nuts and they would do these letter writing. And, and Joe's answer was always the same thing. If you really want speedball to come back, vote with your dollars. Because if, if, if it sells 3,000 copies, we're not publishing speedball when, when Captain mm-hmm. America sells 300,000 copies, right? Fans who wanted speedball didn't care about that argument. And that seems insane to me like you can't just kind of say i expect this and i'll scream until i get what i want but what that spoke to was the access that fans now have to creators and i think that that's that's somewhat problematic now
0: yeah i mean i i maybe it's an age thing um and I don't mean that in like a, oh God, those youngsters way. I'm not that old, but I didn't have access to, got even the internet until I was almost done with high school and then it was dial up and weak at best. But, you know, so I, I think I it could be my age that has put me in this realm of like, there's things I would love to see happen in, you know, like storylines I would love to see, characters I would love to get together, shipping you know or or i would like to see this comic or this character comic book character get it's uh, his own you know run or her own run but i've always kind of understood that as much as i want that and as much as i might talk about wanting it on the internet it's not gonna probably it's certainly not going to happen just because i want it or even because any sort of large group of fans want it Mm -hmm. and and i think that that's kind of yeah, I mean I don't know if it's an age thing. I don't um or if it's just a it depends on the person, but Fred you, you were kind of nodding along when they were talking about because I think as was Paul was talking about like reviews and stuff like that. I mean, have you because I know you've written quite a few books, like have you had people kind of come at you at all with like love this but want this to happen sort of like like trying to convince you to change something you'd planned or whatever?
4: Fortunately, no. Even though a whole lot of my books have like sold, I would say thousands of copies when it comes to my short stories and whatnot, thankfully, none of the reviewers have actually told me that they wanted, but I want a specific story to go a specific way. I guess they're just happy with what I write or something, or maybe some of them are. They didn't like it and they leave a bad review but they don't necessarily want something to happen in a particular way which i'm thankful for because i've been part of shipping fandom and I don't want to be involved in it.
2: I was going to say, <laughs> come on over to Star Trek. Trek. I'll make your dreams come true.
4: <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: do it, Puri, do it. it. I, I,
4: don't, I, I don't want to be on the other side where, where the actual shipping fandom is actually against me, the creator of something. Right. So I, I don't want to experience that. I'm just saying that I'm I'm, I'm happy. I'll be happy with a bad review. If you want to give me a bad review, give me a bad review. But don't create entire campaigns To convince me that this certain character needs to act a certain way or a story needs to go a certain way. That I don't
2: want to experience. That happens in Star Trek constantly. And the one thing I would say to the younger fans is like, it doesn't matter how many of you want this to happen on Star Trek. But if one of you is willing to work really, really hard for a long time, it's not out of the question. Like, there are so many people online complaining about Star Trek that have been doing it for over 20 years. And if they had put 10% of the effort they put writing online into learning a Mm -hmm. skill that could be useful somewhere on the franchise, there is a non-zero chance that they could be working on Star Trek right now. Like, the, the, Mm -hmm. the group thing doesn't work in terms of we all want this, so this should happen. But if someone's willing to actually put the effort in, people get hired. Like on Star Trek, it, it's a big franchise, but we weren't grown from vats to, like, know what plasma coils are, right? Mm-hmm. We, we weren't taught this from small children. Um, they're just people. They're just other people. And they all work really hard. So
3: Yeah, and then one one last thing to sort of say on that, I think, which is, um, you know, we're in a, a time that I think that there are, like – momentous parts of human history you know the agricultural revolution was where we learned how to plant seeds and grow things and and stay in one place right and so you can trace back to the way humanity changed because we understood what what happened you know when we we were growing things and and then that you know the industrial revolution did the, the next thing which is sort of like you know automate that stuff and allow us to sort of like travel and do you know spread around the world and we're in the digital revolution, and we're literally in the first couple of decades of it right now. And and what's happened is it's changing human behavior, and it's changing our understanding. You know, perhaps um, because we are now able to blare out um, to the Internet, we do, right? We say our opinion all the time. This is what I had for breakfast, and I want you to see what it was on my Twitter feed. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about what you ate, bacon. I don't care. But we, we are starting to get to a point where we feel like the things that we say um without a, you know this is a sub- substantive conversation and so there's the intent of this kind of type of conversation is we're, we're trying to talk about an idea but if you are constantly just spouting your ideas and you're saying your things and and you know you've got like sort of that we, it's it's tempting because the algorithms will just send us into an echo chamber that will get mm. the our same opinions like parroted back at us so i think that that's that's another thing which is um people um, you know, the 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 internet seems to have amplified poor fan behavior, um, and it seems mm-hmm. to have amplified people's opinion of their value in terms of intellectual discourse. Like, if this is the if this is the information superhighway, then how come we are all navigating it on ping pogo sticks? You know, no one is navigating it well. We we it's it's the art of communication, right? So. Sharpen your pencils, everybody. Learn how to communicate. How come we got more access to communicate with people now and people are less able to communicate? Partly because we don't care. We're not intending to care now. We're just, it's its sheer volume now. It's not substance. And I think that that's the, the other thing is, I think if you yell a lot and you say a lot of things very, very, very loudly in all caps, people might pay attention to you. And so that's what everybody starts doing. And now everybody's yelling, yelling really loudly. It's, it's time to, you know, we have to slow down. And I think it's going to take us a couple of generations to find that sweet spot where in the digital revolution, we actually know how to communicate properly.
4: Also, certain fans forget that the entire world isn't on Twitter. <laughs> and also that uh, comic book stories, movies, it's a business. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, and uh, Twitter and Twitter isn't their target demographic, basically. Mm-hmm. So certain fans
1: forget We're Especially.
4: It. Yeah, fans are like, you know what, I want this couple, uh, this director to hook up with this director. I want more certain types of stories. And I'm like, you know what, if those stories made enough money, people would be making it. The suits would be investing in such stories. So yeah, you can keep on talking about them. Maybe one day they will get made, because if you go, if you look towards Hollywood and the type of movies that they're producing, there's a whole lot of diversity going on. There's a whole lot of inclusivity going on, but it takes time because they need more people as supporters, not just your little echo chamber saying that we need such stories, we need such stories. But what yeah, should... I agree with Paul with the with the equation. That, you know, <laughs> it's it's all about the negativity. Negativity gets the hits. Negativity gets the attention. So that's why a whole lot of comments are going to be negative compared to books that are that do very well. They don't get
2: talked about that much online yeah one thing that there's one thing that uh, quentin tarantino said that i thought was brilliant um he was talking to a bunch of film students and he's like how many of you want to be film directors and everybody put their hand up he's like how many of you want to become film distributors and nobody's <laughs> hand went up because that's boring and awful if <laughs> like that were the case like Like it would be so much easier to make movies if there were a lot more creative people focusing on, you know, delivering movies rather than just just making them. Then there would be a wider choice to go to. One thing that drives me crazy. People talk about, especially, um, like this is near and dear to my heart, is um, you know trans representation on television and film. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal for the trans community. It absolutely needs to happen, and it should. But they don't understand that the industry is not set up to even give them what they want. Like, Mm -hmm. I strongly promote transgender talent agencies because the more juice they have, the more odds they'll be able to talk to a producer and get a trans artist hired for a trans role. And when you're producing, again, you are making your mark and you are on budget and you are on time or you are dead forever. So people need to understand that what they want to see in terms of representation is not necessarily because people think that it's bad or that they don't think it should be seen or that they don't they don't think America can take it. It's just not a part of their business model yet where it's super easy for them to reach out and grab a, a, a trans actor of, of, of any gender or color in a particular role, as much as we would love to see that. It's just, mm-hmm. it's slower than you think it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think that Paul was talking about the, the, you know, screaming on the internet. And, um, like, we're all kind of saying like, you can yell as much as you want, but it's probably not going to change anything, uh, immediately, especially that kind of leads. I, I, it leads into one of the things I want to mention. I don't really want to get into a lot of detail about this, but it's a good example of towing the line between fans versus creators and fans versus other fans. Now it is an indie creator in this particular case, but, uh, just quick mention, because it's very famous, of Gamergate, which happened back in, I think, 2015. Uh, an indie game developer was essentially accused by her ex-boyfriend of trading sexual favors for good reviews of her game. Because she actually had been doing really well. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but she's only getting those reviews because now... Not surprisingly, these accusations were like, deemed unfounded, um, but she'd already been hurt by them. And then the Gamergate movement refused to let things die down. A group of Gamergate supporters on 4chan backed this gaming project from the Fine Young Capitalists, aka TFYC, because I don't really say that name every single time, because that group had had a prior dispute with the, you know, with this developer. And eventually somebody, it could have been an Indiegogo, it could have been a hacker, got the TFYC Campaign Indiegogo campaign shut down, and Indiegogo did make a statement saying that due to the participation of the Gamergate supporters, TFYC were at least inadvertently participating in the harassment of the developer. But it was kind of too little, too late. So this is one of those, you know, and I I don't know. It's like fans and quotes because I guess they weren't really fans of hers, but because of what happened with you know i guess trolls on the internet coming after this creator it actually caused like them supporting this campaign and the back and forth and the whole gamergate thing it actually did pit women against each other as well and then in an attempt to prove that their little gamergate movement wasn't misogynistic they kind of like continued to be blatantly misogynistic and they continue to defend themselves after the fact rather than own up to their mistakes. And it was basically a whole lot of shouting back and forth on the internet between fans and creators. Cause there were a ton of video game creators who they were saying like, they, they were try to help this woman. So it's it's kind of a, it's almost a neither here nor there, but I like that it toes the line between our first conversation about fans versus creators and fans versus the thing they love and how those things can turn into fans versus fans because mm-hmm. Gamergate began with a people, but also in a way fans versus creators, uh, video game fans basically versus a creator for whatever stupid reasons were behind it. They were very stupid. But it began with that and it became, Gamergate became a fans against fans movement because it's like some people who didn't really understand what it was saying, but it's not misogynistic. And you know that they were probably just not really looking into what it was, right? But... Doesn't that that's not an excuse? Like, ignorance is not an excuse. I'm sorry, it's not. So, it became a fans versus fans thing when it was, you know, but it, it's not, it's not misogynistic. And, you know, this other group of people saying, yes, it is misogynistic. So, on that note, to like I said, kind of segue this into fans versus other fans, there were a couple just again, famous things I wanted to mention as examples. And one of them, the second one, is going to lead straight into kind of what I think is going to be the meat of this discussion, which is the psychology of how these things happen. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, have any of you guys, other than me and possibly Farid and Becca, because they also write for The Geeky Area, have you guys heard of the Final Fantasy Seven house? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to start with that. Final Fantasy Seven house was started with the whole thing started with this girl named Joanna who gathered people in need and claimed she could give them a home. They were all final fantasy seven fans. Uh, but only if they allowed her to call them by final fantasy names and take part in her magical rituals. This is very weird right yeah i don't know what they were okay like listen this, i did not want to
1: okay no i do know what you're talking about okay continue yeah. okay yeah
0: so so joanna turned out to be manipulative and secretive uh money that the residents brought into this house was essentially confiscated to keep the house running the living space mm-hmm. still despite that, became this cesspool of filth and abuse. If people left, they were shunned both on and offline, which scared a lot of the residents into staying much longer than they wanted to. And it also didn't help that a lot of them didn't have anywhere else to go or didn't have the funds to move on again because she was confiscating all their money. Um, Now, the this house eventually, you know, metaphorically collapsed in on itself, but the toxicity that the residents experienced and the way that toxicity made a certain subset of fandom appear, uh, has kind of lived on.
3: Mm.
0: Now that's one example, example number two. And these are both, because these both revolve around a person who was, who gathered a group of people around to support them. And that, you know, it turned into just this whole little, like, different subset of toxic fandom the second uh, example i wanted to give is cassandra clare cassandra clare mm. is best known right now as the author of the ya series the mortal instruments but she got her start as a pretty infamous harry potter fan she dur- during her time in fandom she kind of rose to fandom stardom and she wrote a lot of fanfic and did some other things i think um but over this you know, period of time that she was really big in the Harry Potter fandom, she was accused of everything from plagiarism to profiteering to cyberbullying. She had a history of sticking lawyer friends on anyone who brought up her questionable actions. And most of the blog entries and wiki articles that detailed her wrongdoings were deleted very quickly without explanation during this period of time. So at the very least, she was a or is a controversial figure. Uh, the middle ground is that she's a fandom famous person who got partially or possibly mostly plagiarized works published. At the worst, she's a bully who used her fandom fame and her connections to silence her detractors. Now, in summarizing these famous toxic fans or fandom situations, mostly from articles that I wrote anywhere from like three to four. Five plus years ago, I realized that in lumping them together like this, these toxic fans and their followers seemed both eerily familiar and similar. So, on that note, I'd like to delve into a discussion on the psychology of cultism and its connection to fan behavior. And I know, you know, Paul, I know you have a bunch to say. And Fred, I think you'll have, I'm sure, some things to weigh in on because, you know, masters in psychology. So, and obviously, Emmett and Becca and myself, if we have anything to say, chime in. But, you know, as usual, be polite. Don't interrupt each other, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just gonna vibe. I'm just. I've <laughs> like entered this space where I'm just. Oh, like, we'll get your shipping stuff. At, we'll get to that. <laughs>
3: well, first, first thing I want to say, Tara, is um, you described you described Heaven's Gate. Mm-hmm. You just you, the first the first example you gave of the house was the, is exactly the description of what happened with the Heaven's Gate cult. I the just people that ended up the
1: documentary about that. It's wild.
3: Okay, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I mean, basically, the way that Heaven's Gate was set up was basically isolate people, um, you know, and then put them in a place, take away their, you know, so when they came into the Heaven's Gate cult, they had their stuff taken away from them. Um, they, their stuff that was taken away was used to finance the cult and so on and so forth. Right now, what did this all have in common? Uh, what did Heaven's Gate have in common with the two examples that you just cited? It was a bunch of people that were potentially vulnerable, perhaps. Uh, that saw their identity shared with other people because of a shared love of something, or a shared belief, or a shared need, manipulated by a narcissist, right? Manipulated mm-hmm. by somebody that's that's really, really vile to them, who doesn't have their best interests at heart, but knows how to use the, to set the cues, right? So, what you know, when you go to the cues of what makes people behave the way that they do, you have to kind of start looking at the psychology behind it, and and you can go down to that on on. The basis, most neurological level, and and the first thing to look at to understand why this happens with toxic fans and the and, and and the straight line that you can draw between something like Gamergate and QAnon, right? You can draw a line between those two things. And and what you have to look at is why do human beings do the things that they do, and some of it is grounded or rooted, I should say, in in why we make decisions and where we carry biases, right? Where cognitive biases come from, why do we have biases? So I'm gonna kind of set the table for this discussion by by kind of setting up a, a, a little example or, or something for us to consider. We come from a bunch of little monkeys, right? And so you have to go back, you know, a couple of million years to where for millions of years we were conditioned to to do certain things, um, there, there's a need for us to be very, very careful because we're going to get killed. We are not; Our brains are not yet developed enough to be top of the food chain. We haven't developed weapons. We haven't developed guns. So we're going to be eaten by a lion if we encounter a lion, right? So what would we do? We would we would hang around, imagine we're on the edge of, of the plane and we're under a tree and we've got a little bit of safety under this tree and there's some food out there and it's 20 yards from us. And what you have to do as a little monkey person, you gotta sit there and say to yourself, Okay, can I walk out there and get that food? Because you know, what does the air smell like? Is there a lion around? Are the birds chirping? What is you know, what's going on? What are the sounds that I can hear? And very, very carefully you kind of edge out from the tree line to see if you can get that food. So most of the dominant things that come in our lives are driven by fear. We are driven by fear, and we've overcome fear because of our rational brains. Second part of it is that we're tribal by nature. We have to, You have to be part of something, right? Now, one of my sons is a really nice-natured boy. He's six, He just turned 16. Um, Very kind guy, right? I'm so proud of him because he's a very nice person and he's very popular at school. So even though he's a geek, a nerdy kind of Dungeons and Dragons kid, kid, everyone likes him. But he's found his tribe, right? His tribe are his Dungeons and Dragons guys at the comic book store. And that's his group and that's who he interacts with. And and so when you feel like you might be an outcast or you might just be a little bit of an outsider or you're trying to find your identity, you're going to walk into a place where you meet people that are like you and they think like you do, and you're like, great, I'm part of that. That's why, and this is fundamentally part of what Desmond Morris wrote about um, years ago, an anthropologist in Britain, about football hooliganism, right? Like, why do we put on red and then point at the team in blue and go, we're going to kill you, right? Why do we do that? Because it's our tribe, and we feel safe in our tribe, and we feel like those behaviors are, are correct for us because we know that we've got something in common with people. So as long as we understand that most of our decisions are made because of our fight or flight mechanism that took millions and millions of years to be inside us. It's not We're not getting rid of it that easily. And that tribalism is driven by our need to belong because it's safe. We're not, when, when, I heard someone once say that we're not, people don't really want freedom, they want safety. And I kind of agree with that, right? People do want freedom, of course, But really, they prefer to have safety. And if we feel safe, everything else is a bit easier to deal with. And so what happens in that mechanism is that we feel like our rational brain can overcome it. We feel that we can do something about it. And we find the things that we like. We get involved with a group of like-minded people. And what happens when someone with nefarious intent walks into that group where people are joining in? It could be a Dungeons and Dragons group, right? And if you've got someone with bad intent, that can dangle that Dungeons and Dragons thing in front of you and say, yeah, yeah, we're all together. And and the psychology of cult leaders is they do the same thing. They walk in, they show you the thing that you want. You're like, yeah, I'm a Dungeons and Dragons person. I love Dungeons and Dragons. And the next thing they do is tell you, yeah, but everyone that doesn't like Dungeons and Dragons is your enemy. They're against you. Or the people that like Dungeons and Dragons differently from you are your enemy and they're against you. Mm. That's when it gets problematic. It's bad people walking into the space Understanding how to manipulate other people and sort of cue them to think like they they need them to think that's when then toxic fandom goes awry. And I feel that in most of the cases where I've looked at any of this kind of stuff, it's always been that someone's walked in from outside and they basically dangled that same thing that they love in front of them. And then they've they've done the cultish kind of mechanisms to say everyone else is against you you know, I'm the keeper of the real Dungeons and Dragons and everyone else is not, or something like that. And when they do that, that's when it all goes to hell.
4: I mean, of course, yes. I agree with Paul. It's been, for those of you wondering, all of this, this tribalism thing, it's been proven, psychological theories, read up on them. Now, I remember when I was doing my psychology degree, the Twilight movies were coming out during that time. <laughs> <laughs> was, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, Twilight movies were coming out. And of course they were a big thing here over in Pakistan too. So...
0: Wait, you have also, things but, in Pakistan for You have things in Pakistan oh, We have movies. We have Twilight. We have vampires. <laughs> Sorry. This is, this is a long right. running joke with us.
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also uh, Paul saying that when, uh, when someone nefarious comes in, the cult thinking and all of that. I remember that when the Twilight movies were coming in, if you look at the promotional content, the PR team was kind of encouraging that Team Jacob and Team Edward thing. Like sometimes these things are also encouraged. And again, coming back to what Paul said about us being uh, uh, into uh, creating tribes and finding the people that we like. And after we find the people that we like, even though nature actually wanted us to group together to be- become safe, we don't need that type of safety no more. So that's why when we find our tribe, anyone can come in Someone in bad attentions, and they can actually focus all of that uh, energy into something negative. And that's what we see a lot when it comes in a, when when it comes to shipping that someone is directing that towards the other group and saying that, you know what those people are wrong. You guys are right, and you need to squash that tribe out. You need to squash them out. And that's why I remembered we actually did a little assignment on the team team Edward and team uh, what was it Jacob? Yeah Jacob and Edward mm-hmm. thing. During our psychology, I think it was like second year of my psychology. I don't even remember, but yeah, we did that little thing uh, when we were talking about curves. Now, of course, our teacher weren't really into the topic being discussed because I don't, I don't think they were really, they really understood where we were coming from. But yeah, the tribe thing—it's it's encouraged by media, and that's why I, as a as a writer for the geekery, I sometimes also call out certain promotional practices that actually encourage fans to go at each other's throats like don't do that but again again coming back negativity sells online and that's why a whole lot of marketing people do that
0: yeah but then a lot of them aren't prepared for the fact that like (laughs) if we're negative the fans might be too like they don't it doesn't compute (laughs) or maybe it does and they don't care and that's probably that's an entirely different discussion because if they don't care about the negativity they might be creating amongst their fans then that's like
4: oh they they don't care they don't care until the negative is directed at them yeah yeah
1: yeah Yeah, the fans can keep on
4: fighting with each other
1: what's another what's another uh, what's something else that you can think of that has used the negative tactics Farid something else that you can think of
4: females (laughs)
1: i don't i don't i don't think these
2: problems are yeah (laughs) i don't i don't necessarily think the toxic fandom is you know lycanthropy based but you're making a good point
0: yeah Yeah. no 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 i mean for sure and and uh well i guess and and paul like you know this, this 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 tribalism stuff it's um one of the things that we've talked about one on one is the groupthink culture and how that leads mm. to people being indoctrinated into a certain I mean we can call it a cult or you can just call it a certain group, well,
3: but I, it's yeah. Yeah, I think you have to work out where cults start and whether where the thought process is behind cultism or, or or fan fan-driven behavior. First of all, let's take a look at the word fan. It stands for fanatic, so fan stands mm-hmm. for fanatic, right? Mm and you you have to remember that right now there's there's different kinds of tribalism that are very helpful to us right so let's take an unpopular view right um i'm not a very religious person um but i i think that there's a place for organized religions to help communities for example right it's certainly you know there'll be one side that says well organized religion is sort of like lying to people and you know kind of getting access to their wallets because of because you know they'll they'll give you money and but there's another side of it which is it's very community based right so you can all congregate and i'm sure that that's been something that's been done for centuries right um the thing about it is that there's positive and negative to tribalism and there's positive and negative to our fight or flight response that you know like dictating things to us right like we 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 can we should be careful sometimes you know but there are so many cognitive biases inside us right and we all have them and so i'm going to challenge anyone sort of watching this or even the other panel members with with sort of like a thought experiment because this is the way that our brains work and it's going to work the same for the for the five of us on this panel as it would work for anyone watching or listening you have biases and one of the most fundamental biases that you have is sometimes known as the bias bias it's the one that says i don't have any biases Right. Like you think you don't have any biases. And that itself is a is a bias bias, because you do. Right. You've got biases because of the way you were grown up. You've got biases because of the things that you feel, because of the things that you see, because of your chemical imbalances or balances or whatever it is that you might have. It's fundamentally part of you. It's 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 the environment that you're in one bias that is very powerful is the false consensus bias and basically we believe that more people agree with us than is actually true right so it's very powerful in fandom you think that everyone agrees everyone everyone says that everyone knows that you say no they don't right everyone doesn't know that people disagree with each other about their interpretations of something from star wars star trek religious beliefs people disagree with each other all the time and especially politics right especially politics in this world now if you look at the united states of america the internet has weaponized reality against you know groups against each other it's just basically taken people and said your reality is the one that i'm going to tell you it is right and you agree with me or so it takes other people that don't agree with you and it makes them an enemy it's it's the psychology of cultism it basically makes an enemy out of someone that doesn't agree with you so now we can take something like star wars right the first movies were the best the original movies were the best and someone else says no no no, i like the latest movies those were my favorite and then someone really unpopular says "No, no no i like the three in the middle those were the best you all like star wars right but you don't like it you all hate the other star wars but you like your star wars in other words you like the things that are part of your world and you don't like the things that are part of someone, uh, someone else's worldview. And that's fundamentally part of who we are as human beings. So you can understand. That. I'm so like, happy about that. That makes what? me so
2: happy. Like
3: what that, makes that you make happy? Me,
2: it, it makes me happy because people understand that when you're talking about, you know, science fiction and finishing or, or, you know, these fully realized worlds, right. right. Um, You know, Star Trek, we do this seasonally, right? Like the new show is not as good as the old show. Repeat forever, right? Right. Um, The one thing that we can learn about about the the Star Wars stuff is there are hundreds of hours of Star Trek and they're not all gold. They're just not. Mm -hmm. They can't be. It's law of averages. Now that there's more and more and more Star Wars content, there's more and more star Wars cat fighting right. yeah. because they're just getting more material and the more material we have, the more divisive it's going to become.
0: It's no longer just the originals versus the prequels. It's, right. Right. Like, and now people are like, well, the prequels, they were great compared to whatever else, you know, compared to the new movies. <laughs> yeah.
3: And um, we, we went through it with Ninja Turtles, right? Because we, we, did the thing at the beginning it was nothing and then the next thing you know it blew up and I was like one of the first employees and it just exploded right so now we're doing Ninja Turtles and I'll never forget when the first movie came out and when when that happened there were kids I mean there were kids around the block you know there were kids with their families literally lined up around the block that was like a cultural phenomenon that first movie the first Ninja Turtle movie and the cartoon was cool and the toys were cool and here comes the first movie and then 15 years 20 years went by and suddenly it was uh, old school, you know, 15 years went by and it's sort of like, we're reviving the Ninja Turtles. I'm like, God, I feel old. And that was the first time to revived it. Now I feel really old, right? Right. There's all these cycles of Ninja Turtles. And what was the best one? And what about the one from a couple of years ago? So that was really cool. And it was really cool. And what about the Michael Bay version? And, you know, some people love that Michael Bay version. Did I? Uh, nah, not really. I don't care. I, I don't mind it. <laughs> I don't mind if it's new. I didn't really care for it. i watched it and went, nah, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like it's got much heart. But that's only my opinion, right? Because someone else can have their own opinion, and that's fine. And I think this is the bit where you heard me say earlier on, I don't really have much of a fan mentality. So I've never really been a, a bit of a, a big fan saying I've got to protect the original. I could protect the original OG Ninja Turtles if, if I really want to stand for it. But I don't care because everyone has their own way of thinking about things.
2: And here's the However, other thing. The original yeah. Turtles do not need your protection. They're available. You can buy them in stores right now. You can pick up Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Like, I can pull... If I want to watch original Star Trek, I can pull it off my shelf and watch it. If I want to see original Turtles, I can buy original Issues. It's available. They're around. No one is taking anything away by adding more to the canon.
0: Well, and I want to point out this comment that I'm just highlighting right now because it's literally exactly what you guys are saying is that, you know... When with Star Wars, each generation has its own trilogy to to an extent there, there's a little bit of mix and match there. but you know, they're done at that time for that generation and it's really cool that we all get that. And I'm kind of in this weird generation where I was raised on the original Star Wars and even got to see the you know revamped ones in the theaters in the mid 90s. but really the 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 new Star Wars for me were the prequels and and I don't love the prequels, but I definitely, I mean, there's definitely things I would just throw out from them entirely. But as a whole, I still had this huge attachment to them. Again, I'm kind of like, I'm both aging myself. And I think it might be because of my age that I have this, I have these strong feelings where I don't, You know, I might love the originals the best still because they're what I was introduced to first, but I also really, really love the prequels because they're the ones I got to see for the first time. And I really, really love the new ones because they, well... Minus the last one, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> At least the, the first two or the last one. They, they really spoke to me like on a personal level. And then, of course, we get The Mandalorian and even the Boba Sh- Fett show. And, and really, even before that, uh, Star Wars Rebels, particularly, mm-hmm. were all, I mean, that's what I really love, I think, about Dave Filoni. Is that he has a really amazing talent for mixing the old with the new. You know, which has, has, and I think a lot of, to be honest, a lot of Star Wars fans, they might not like every single thing he does, but at least in my circle, and again, I'm, I'm in a closed circle here of people who echo my own opinions. Yeah, as much as I would love to say that's not the case, I think we all have to admit that it is, we are all in close circles that, that, that echo our own opinions. So, you know, which it's,
3: is, it's, which is, which is basically a thing called the confirmation bias.
0: <laughs> right, right, so, right. And as much as you try yeah. to like, like see and hear and respect other people's opinions outside of the very obvious, no, I'm not seeing, hearing or respecting your opinion. If you're a misogynistic or, and, or racist piece of shit, but, yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's it. right
3: well the other and, thing and, too is yeah, you
2: understand that like your bias among your friends in, in in your cohort in your age range right you are adults and you understand that your opinions about dave filoni unless they are being expressed on like a lucas form a lucas film campus that they won't really matter very much do you know what i mean mm-hmm. but that's a switch that gets turned on the internet. When the fight gets turned on, that's when a lot of that clicks in.
3: Right. And I think, I think the one thing that is the hardest to overcome, if you think about it, is this, and this is why I said this is like a thought experiment, right? If you are living your life, it's very hard for me to tell you you're crazy. Right. But let's say that you are having issues. If you hear that, your natural reaction is going to be, yeah, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. It's you. It's you that do that, right? That's what, are, that's exactly. But then there are some people that are very tough in all of this. There are some, again, short for fanatic. And so, you know, you've got people, there's there's a young woman who was shot dead on a doorstep because she was a singer and the head of a fan club came up and basically gunned her down. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy, Right. But you couldn't have told the person you know who was about to go pull the trigger that they were doing something crazy because at that point they didn't think they were doing something crazy they thought they were doing something they needed to do right and so when in this situation it's just that the when when fan groups go go awry what you're probably watching is it being led by an agenda to lead it that way most of the people in these fan groups that are getting upset are getting upset because they've been given information that's not true or things or they've been, you know, the information has been couched in a certain way. Now, when you go to those people and you say, wow, you're acting really irrationally, you really need to slow down, calm down, settle down for a minute. Right. They're like, don't tell me to calm down. You calm down. Mm -hmm. and Off we go. It's very, very hard to beat these biases. And so I think that's the thing that's very difficult because it's hard enough to beat those biases just in a group. And before the Internet, there was still football hooliganism, right? Mid 80s in in England, sports was crazy. Right. Can you imagine that level Mm -hmm. of hooliganism amplified by the Internet? Would have been insane.
0: And so just to kind of go, cause I want to move on into some of our own personal stories as someone who has spent the vast majority of my time in fandom on in on slash at in-person events, founding and organizing two single fandom conventions, speaking on more panels than I can even count anymore at so many conventions, I can't remember all of them. uh, And who generally avoids online discussions about the things I love. I've had a largely positive experience. The few negative experiences I've had weirdly enough were almost entirely ones I was dragged into by toxic fans for stuff that I don't even have a huge interest in. The main one that comes to mind, main, first, whatever, because I think it probably was my first, <laughs> was Supernatural fandom. I I watched about one season of Supernatural, the first one, when it aired, and then I moved and didn't have cable and stopped watching it. And years and years and years later, I start writing for The Erie, and The Geekyary was founded by Destiel Shippers. Mm-hmm. So... Well, I, I mostly only do webcasts with The Geek Year now. I used to write a lot for them and, and promote them on Twitter and, and whatnot. So The Geek years stopped covering SPN a long time ago. I can't even remember when. But even years after they stopped covering it, I personally, at my personal at a geek saga Twitter, was subjected to random attacks by SPN fans just because I wrote for The Geek Year. Even... Even when I would respond with things like, I don't even watch this show, they wouldn't acknowledge my response and then they would eventually start pinging me with their nastiness again. I don't even know which SPN contingent was coming at me. I guess it was just anybody and everybody who just wasn't a Destiel Shepherd. maybe. I don't know. But... Having to deal with that put such a sour taste in my mouth that even if I had at some point thought that, hmm, maybe I want to try really watching Supernatural through, that's never going to happen now because of this. I've obviously had other toxic fan-slash-fandom experiences. That's the one I always go back to, though, because it's probably still, even to this day, with everything I've experienced from certain members of the Star Trek fandom, another fandom I'm not really directly involved in, the most, like, wait, what, why of my toxic fandom stories is Supernatural. So on that note, Becca hasn't hasn't said much yet. We're gonna, I'm gonna start with Becca and then just go, let's go Becca, Emmett. And I guess, I don't know, Paul, if you have much just to weigh in on this and then Fareed, but toxic fandom stories as a fan, thoughts, things that you've experienced, whatever.
1: So I I mostly, I guess I do not really think about the whole us versus them thing, which I really should because it's very, it's very othering. Um, mm-hmm. fandom require, fandom forces us into a very othering situation. situation um, it is, especially with ship wars, because it's very much us versus them, um, you know like like Paul said, the tribalism um, you know, you pick your people and you stay with your people, and that, that ha- causes a lot of tension even though these are fake people with fake relationships you know, there's no reason for people to be at each other's throats like they are, but they are Especially with Star Wars, that's that's one big thing. Star Wars is a huge thing, you know. Like uh, especially with the most recent trilogy, you know, um, people who are shipping, you know, Ben and Ray, or people who are shipping, (laughs) (laughs) people who are shipping. That's me
0: being toxic, right? Then (laughs) oh,
1: or shipping Ray, or shipping Rose and Ben, or shipping um, Ray and Kylo. Like I have never seen my friends get so heated as i have watching them fight with strangers online about their ships Um <laughs> and also another really big thing um because i was involved in the 100 um i never finished the final season because it just got to the point where it just was really terrible um as many as series are or whatever they just don't know how to end the walking dead is so and the walking dead is another one where you know you build up this it's us versus them mentality. And like you had the Carol and Daryl shippers versus the Beth and Daryl shippers. And um, so I have never been directly attacked because I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> but in public, people who are very, you know, very public about their ships, they do get attacked. And to the point where it's very ugly, like people saying, just a heads up. But, but you know, like kill yourself over these fake people and their fake relationships and it would be so funny if some of these people are not actually serious sometimes and another thing that's for me personally I, i'm not really a co- i don't really cosplay much anymore um because of health problems but as a cosplayer there's a big there's a big issue with the cosplay community um, the cosplay police and the cosplay community are very toxic. And there is a big movement in the cosplay community of body acceptance and body positivity, as there is and you know, in every um in every scene right now, you know, with fashion and, you know, stuff like that. But it's very difficult to be a fat cosplayer or to be a cosplayer of color. Now, I'm not a person of color, but it's very difficult for cosplayers of color to exist. Very difficult for fat people to exist as cosplayers um, in the community. Because you always do have those ugly people who are kind of like, well, you know, you can't cosplay this, this person because this character isn't black. Um, or, you know, this character, you know, you should lose some weight before you cosplay this character. And now I have experienced those comments or people just being downright nasty whenever I'm cosplaying and, or people giggling and laughing, and it's not a great feeling. Um, And it is very othering because, you know, the point of being a geek is to come together. The point of conventions is to come together so everybody can enjoy your collective fandoms Um, and connect with people who enjoy the same things that you do. Um, Hopefully without the bias, like you mentioned, you know and you can all enjoy and you can you know there may be people who don't agree with you but you know you can still you can still have a collective love for these things but whenever things like that happen like and that is part of the reason i don't cosplay anymore is because so this has happened so many times that i just there's not really much that i want to do anymore um and it hurts and this is not necessarily like a geeky thing, but I'm really involved in the K-pop community, like Korean pop music. Let me let movies. me interrupt
0: you real quick. This is a geeky thing because when <laughs> it comes to when it comes to being a geek, like or a nerd, or something, the the point is that you have kind of I mean, it's that fanaticism, right? You're a fan because you're a fanatic for that thing, an absolute and, fanatic, and there is a community surrounding it. So while it might not be a geek or pop. No, it is a pop culture thing. While it might not be a culture culture thing, it still counts. Because I know you're about to talk about the K-pop community, and yeah, I just I want to be very clear here that, and, and Paul has mentioned several times the you know like like sports community and and b- before we actually went live, Paul was talking about like football in Great Britain and everything and how just absolutely like the hooligans and whatnot how crazy that could get and being like a like a little bit or a lot obsessive over something is what makes you a geek about that thing. I did a whole TEDx speech about this one time. Um, <laughs> go on, which I still. <laughs> um
1: so with the K-pop community you have fans versus other fans but you also have creators versus fans and fans versus creators. Um now with K-pop mostly with K-pop not necessarily with K-drama and with the actors and actresses but with K-pop it is entirely fan service. These K-pop bands are manufactured by companies to to create an experience for fans. Uh, to enjoy. And there have been, there's an extremely high risk or high rate of suicide among K-pop stars. And a lot of it comes from the pressure from fans. And there have been an unprecedented amount of suicides um, or mysterious deaths, as they like to call them, in the K-pop and K-drama community. Um, You have these fans who are crazy stalkers. There's a name for them called Sasaangs, which means private life. Um, literally translates to private life, where they follow the celebrities, they follow the pop idols into their homes, uh, they set up cameras outside of their homes, take photos of them through their, uh, you know, through their windows, they follow them, um, stalk them through the streets, wait backstage. Um, it's very dangerous. And also, though, with the K-pop community, fans are really vicious towards each other. There have been multiple suicides of K-pop fans because they've been bullied. Um, And it's, K-pop fans is the perfect example of othering because it is quite literally us against them. Whenever I say us against them, I don't mean me against them. Um, But it is, you know, your favorite may not get the vote for the music award because Mm -hmm. the other group got it. And so it gets really nasty and ugly. And I have been in the middle of literally sitting there watching someone berate another girl saying, hey, you should kill yourself because your favorite got the nom and my didn't. Hmm. Um, just thinking, thinking about that's it's really... Uh, um, well, it's hey, really...
3: hey, you know, Becca, I think um, when all of this is done, I want to tell a positive story so that we're not all like... Because okay. like, I yeah. have some positive ones, but only yeah. after we've covered it a little bit, there are some positive sides to this stuff and, and,
1: there, and it's and not there all that, right? yeah. You know, like K-pop communities have come together um, to to donate, you know, thousands of dollars for um for orphanage and or that for orphanages and mm-hmm. also for planting trees in the rainforest that have been, you know, victim to deforestation. So, but those are some of my experiences personally with toxic fandom. Um K-pop K-pop community can do a lot of good, but they can also do a lot of damage. And um mm-hmm. Sorry, there was a lot for me to get through as fast as I could. <laughs> I'm gonna um, make a
0: random aside comment. They can save a lot of puppies, but they can also sue a lot of people.
1: Well, they. Well <laughs> I mean, they, I they, they, hey, hey, don't do that. Don't get in trouble. I will <laughs> not get caught in the crosshairs. No, listen.
0: That was just a random comment. It wasn't about anything in particular.
1: Yes, They pop people save a lot of puppies. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. So it's you know, and it's like I said, they do a lot of good, but they also do a lot of damage. And um, but it's the perfect example of a positive fandom
0: and a toxic one, all in the same. Well, I think that's kind of any like. That doesn't, that's any fandom. I mean, I I know. I, I listen. I was complaining about the supernatural fandom earlier, right? While I personally have not had good experiences with the supernatural fandom, I also have friends who have made like lifelong friendships, uh, have even ended up in relationships, etc., because of the supernatural fandom. Every fandom has the the groups of people that that populate every fandom have the opportunity, the ability to do good, and they do a lot of the time. And 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 I think at the at the end of this conversation we'll for sure get into like how we think we can make things better. But on that note, mo- moving on to Emmett, just to go in order, do you have any maybe one or two short toxic fandom stories that you wanted to share by chance?
2: Well, I mean, there, I have an intoxicated fandom story because a lot of times when I'm at conventions and I don't know why this happens, but there's usually a bunch of guys dressed up as Klingons and all of them want to do shots with me.
0: And I mean,
2: hey. I'm usually like right here on the convention floor where there's people around. Okay. Um, but like, it's 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 weird. I've seen a lot of, you know, the internecine battles of... Star Trek fans, but I've seen situations in which um, not only toxic fandom exists, but it is fostered and it is built mm-hmm. and it is turned into a product. Um, and that's one of the reasons we started with Trek Fan is because we saw this happening in uh, Star Trek fan clubs and it's, it's a dangerous thing. You've got, you know, these social clubs, but you'll have things like, you know um space navy ranks like you'll have an ensign or you'll have a lieutenant or you'll have these people who are working third shift overnight at a gas station but when they're with their friends they're you know commander bob and it gives them like a level of uh respect and awareness that is not tied to anything but their membership in the organization and it's freaking weird um, a lot of I, I've I've been to conventions and, and someone will be like, oh yeah, I'm the captain of the blah 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 and we're, we do this we do this stuff locally, and most of the time they're okay, but sometimes they're really really weird and I, I wonder what they're up to, and it it <laughs> creeps me out a little bit, so we created Trek Fan as uh, kind of the antithesis of that like, let's keep the people who run it uh, a very small group of anonymous people. So that like when someone wants to jump into a situation and find handholds to like, where can I grow my toxicity? There's no one they can really reach out to and identify as a leader. And because of that, it's harder for them to, to get a, a handhold on something where they could do damage. Um, and usually because of that situation, it's very easy to identify those people and then quietly remove them.
0: Well, and, and I don't wanna make this about myself on the whole or whatever but that to be honest that's a big part as somebody who organizes a single fandom convention i run ice and fire which is a game of thrones song of ice and fire convention i that's part of the reason i have largely stayed out of song of ice and fire game of thrones online communities and fandom because i am the person who organizes it. i do have a council of people and then beyond that a group of volunteers that help me I'm the only founder who has stuck around. I'm the only uh, currently we, we used to have like a group of three organizers and it just, it became problematic and we went down to one, which is me. But the reason why, or one of the reasons why I stay out of the online aspect of the song of ice and fire game of Thrones fandom is because people know I am the organizer of this convention, but I don't want it to be seen or seem that I have some sort of hold on
2: Fandom as a whole? Thing? Oh, big, big Sam. Like, we, the, the funny thing is, the, the flex, if anything, is like, hey, we're doing some cool stuff. You might like it. Come on by. Um, if you're a toxic organization, you have a different outlook. Your outlook is, I want to get as many people as I can into this organization because then I'll be important. Yeah. And then those mm-hmm. people within the organization will listen to me and not necessarily mm-hmm. the leaders. That's like, no, nope sorry, let a million Star Trek fan clubs bloom. Have (laughs) thousands of them. It can be like thousands of like single person clubs. I don't care. It's great. There are a lot of different Star Trek clubs and they have a lot of different um, focuses. Like one is um, like the Federation. They, they are very geared towards public charity projects. There's um, seventeen They're kind of like the 501st. Um, They're a costume organization for Star Trek. So a lot of it is, the the problem is that the the toxic fans can jump in and pull people into one thing first and then they get disgusted with it because it's terrible and everyone's awful and they're not aware that there were nine or ten different organizations that meet exactly what they like to do but because they got into a power struggle early on all they know is this awfulness becca has her hand raised Yes.
1: yes race. <laughs> I figured. I mean, you know, that kind of reminds me of um, of um, what's the Walker Stalker con, and how they kind of monopolize the Walking Dead, um, and it became something truly horrific and awful, and to the point where they really had to shut it down. And um, I feel like that any any kind of person who monopolizes a fandom, um. <laughs> Tara knows what I'm talking about um, Any kind of any kind of person who monopolizes A fandom is is going to foster A toxic environment in general
0: Or even attempts to monopolize Yeah, or attempts honestly. to, yeah, yeah exactly Because so, here's the
2: thing, if you keep yeah. people Angry, you're going to get attention
1: Yeah, exactly
4: That's my equation That's my equation, yeah So true So that's the reason a whole lot of these Uh Hate, hateful YouTube channels exist like online
2: yep. well that's the other thing too like they will they will turn their anger at you know a science fiction property not into a not into just a terrible personality uh, with whom and become a person to with to with facts and evidence don't matter at all but it turns their anger into revenue and it is mm-hmm. very very difficult to see um like there's there's a lawyer in Minnesota who has a YouTube Twitch thing. He doesn't know anything about anything, but because he has a law degree, people will ask him legal questions and it, everything will be filtered through his opinion, which is a carefully cultivated um, response to what his audience wants. And that has mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do with what the truth is. And there is no financial benefit to him to stop being an asshole a couple of expressing opinions he doesn't even have
3: a couple of the biases that you're talking about that is the authority bias right we trust Mm -hmm. people in authority more and so you know if you project an air of authority in that guy's case he says you know i'm an attorney or he's an attorney or whatever, or he's, I have a law degree. And when he says that, right, in that particular guy's case, he's basically projecting an air of authority that he knows something, right? I and mean, speak for yourself
0: when you say you, you trust people in authority. More. Yeah, hey,
3: you it's
4: know, more, I'm, I mean, it's more of an ego yeah. thing. It's not yeah. necessarily they trust that particular person. It's just that they want other people, they want to tell other people that, you know what, my opinion, that's the same opinion that this guy with a degree has. So that means that my opinion is better than yours. Right. That's more like it. The moment, the moment that person with a degree gives an opinion that's against you, you'll turn on him too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean this this there's the my problem is like there's no way of stopping that guy. He's going to do whatever he's going to do forever as long mm-hmm. as the money keeps coming in. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how many people. Um, are harassed by his audience, by his idiots. Um, it doesn't affect him. He just sees checks coming in. And I don't have a solution to that at all, other than um, eliminate... Like You talk about the bias bias, right? Mm. I try to tell people all the time, don't listen to me. Don't listen mm. to me. But I can give you facts, and I can give you evidence. And I will certainly attempt to um, convince you if I think that, that something is one way, but if I am your only source, like if someone asked me something about star Trek and I tell them something and I'm their only source, they've made a huge mistake. I'm a minor <laughs> technical functionary. Like I do not get to hang out. Like I'm not on set ever. It's not a thing that happens for people to do the kind of stuff I do, but that's fine. Um, it's, it's really tough. To, to even to go to fans who will use you as well, this guy's worked on Star Trek for a long time and yeah. he thinks this therefore, mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. like no, 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 I am a 45-year-old, overweight, middle-aged man who barely has his life together and has no idea how he tricked his wife into marrying him. Like, I have very little authority on anything. <laughs> <laughs>
4: But they don't care. They don't care. They just want. They just want people with titles to share the same opinions that they have. That's all And, they that's,
2: want. and that terrifies me.
4: It's, like, it's also, every
2: time I see the number of followers I have on Twitter, my heart stops. I'm like, <laughs> how can so many of you people really love? They might be giants lyrics and Dune quotes because that's most of my feed.
3: It does speak to the way to why people are fans. It still goes back to that though, right? Like, what what are their behaviors? You know, I have. it's it's not worth getting into my stories because i've got hundreds of them i've i've had death threats i've been sent death threats about stuff that i've written or or created um i I remember uh, when i wrote the origin of wolverine so wolverine had wandered around for 35 years didn't know where where he came from and then you know i persuaded marvel to to go with the way that i sort of devised an origin for him and so we wrote it and the year that it came out i was at san diego comic-con and it was probably the number one selling comic and comic book in like 10 years and it was massive it was it was almost like a sort of a game changer for marvel very much so it was, it was back to you know being doing big things and and uh, the, the origin of wolverine was pretty big i got caught in a like a beatles like um environment where i was in a, i was in a bar and uh, I had some artists who I had previously been the editor maybe 10 years before that. Um, and, and so they were very famous. And, and uh, it was Dave McKean and George Pratt, both amazing comic book artists. Yeah. And it used to be that I was their editor and I would actually kind of help organize the lines. And now basically they had put up a barrier so that people wouldn't keep harassing me because they just couldn't leave me alone. Mm-hmm. The perception of who I was had nothing to do with who I was and it had nothing to do with what kind of person I am. It had everything to do with what their perception of who I might be was, right? And as we were leaving the bar, someone tried to get my attention by grabbing me and saying thank you, but someone else needed my attention over there. And I was literally pulled apart and my clothes were ripped. It was like Beatlemania, right? <laughs> now I'm, I'm sort of amazed by it. I'm like, who the hell am I? Like, what did you think you needed out of me? And it was because I'd been on stage in front of 10,000 people talking about the origin of Wolverine they knew I was the keeper of the flame of something that was massive to them but suddenly their behavior went out of control and they tore my clothing because they wanted something that they perceived that I was and that was nothing close to who I am so you know I've, I've seen those big uh, those big difficult things um but on the on the on the other side of it there is this great community thing so I'm, indulge me for a minute like let's make sure that when we put fandom into context that we even though we're talking about toxic fans there's so much of it that's great now here's what i learned a lesson from i learned a lesson as a creative person that that um if someone had something to say online and i i came in because i pretty much know right if someone's talking about the origin of wolverine online if i were to come in and engage them in a conversation about the origin of wolverine you'd think they would go that's awesome no 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 yeah, that's the, the worst. The opposite mistake. happens. The opposite happens. You've done it, Emmett, right?
2: My, my friend, uh, it was funny, Chuck Wendig, who's written a bunch of Star Wars novels. He's written a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff. He and I edited our, our high school literary journal together. And he started working on Star Wars. And mm-hmm. I have had so many conversations where I'm like, okay, I know that you want to say something here, but the second you do, you're a studio shill who's taken their money, and your yeah. opinion doesn't matter. So let me skip to the end. Your opinion doesn't matter. It yeah. just doesn't, and it's so hard to understand that. But it's yeah. it's real. It's a real thing.
3: It's a real thing. I I had gone in to talk to fans sometimes, uh, very occasionally, and I stopped doing it. I I'm, I will always talk to fans. Like we'll be on our Discord channel for the projects I'm on right now, and I, I'm there all the time. Right, we'll always talk to them and. I'll, I'll always be first in line to do signings and stuff like that and last to leave. I love that stuff, right? I like dealing with fans and and all that. Um, I've always enjoyed like... it. But it's that that's a personal interaction. Uh, those things are cool. It's 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 those weird weird moments. So, that being said, a, a few years ago there was a thing called Comics Gate and it still is around. It's just like gaming gate, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I've and, never heard and, of it.
4: I'm
1: curious.
3: Yeah, and okay. and um it's guy Ethan Van Skyver is a, a comic book creator. I think he's primarily uh, behind it, um, and <laughs> and I know? knew Ethan. I knew Ethan many years ago. I mean, I've always known Ethan. But one thing that happened with Ethan was uh, a number of years ago. See, I don't do fan stuff, so I don't really do do the online interactions or any of that stuff. I'm just completely separated from it very much. And um, I guess Ethan had made a comment in part of the things that he was doing. This is a number of years ago, where he. Had told someone, "Go kill yourself, loser!" Right? And this was—I suppose he had acted like this before, um, and the person had previously attempted suicide. And so that was not the thing to say to someone who'd, who'd obviously attempted that before. Um, and and it, you know, it was no—it wasn't cool. I, I don't particularly like that kind of behaviour. But you know, I didn't have any bone to pick with Ethan, and and I will tell you that part of this was that when I brought this up to Ethan. Um, he actually, at the time, said, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, right? And, and then other people said, Ethan's always like that. My answer was, what am I supposed to judge? Ethan said, I won't do that again, and I'm sorry. Am I supposed to take, now you're going to say, Ethan's always like this, and he's even worse than you think. The, the guy apologized, right? Like he said, sorry, I shouldn't have done it. That's it. Like, move on, right? But it didn't play out that way. People were still divided by it. So his apology wasn't worth anything he couldn't say anything he couldn't say sorry because people would yell at him and then apparently he wasn't sincere and then other people would yell and off we went here's the anecdote that i told him which i think is worth understanding when we do this we have responsibilities i have a responsibility to fandom to be kind to them and to and to sign their books i never used to like it when i started but um this thing happened to me and it changed there are two things that changed my career and this is one of them it's certainly the way that it, it made me deal with fans. I was doing a signing at Marvel, and the way they would do it, they would um, they would put it like someone would hold like a, a sign, and it would say, last in line. And so we'd get to do the signing for about an hour. You know, People would bring their books, and you'd be signing furiously. And you could see the thing winding down. And the guy who's last in line has got his sign, and he's like, I'm last in line. And he looked like a condemned prisoner as he gets close to the end. And then we sign his books. But I had noticed somebody standing outside the ropes and I kind of intuitively realized that the person standing outside had stared at me for an hour and I don't know why. And so when the signing ended, I saw the, I caught the guy's eye and I said, hey, buddy, do you want me to sign something for you? And he sort of looked around like, me? You're talking to me? And I'm like, yeah, man. And so he came over and he had a copy of one comic book. And I've always known when fans are nervous because they hold it in two hands. And he's had this one book mm-hmm. and he held it towards me and he was shaking, right? After I understand, sometimes these fans, they're terrified to meet you. They don't, they're worried, right? So the guy puts the, it was an issue of a book called Hellblazer, which is like the John Constantine character, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd written that for like six years. And so I got the issue and I signed it. I said, would you like me to sign it to you? And he just looked at me and he went, no. And I, okay. and I signed it and I, I gave it to him and he didn't say thank you. He just disappeared. Right. Um, and so the, the, guy, the guy I gave it to him and he just disappeared. He didn't even say thank you. And I was like, okay, it takes all sorts. Well, a couple of weeks later, I got a, an email from that particular person. And let me tell you what that was. That might have been possibly one of the biggest moments of his life. And the reason was years before when I'd written that book, um, I got a letter in the mail from my editor and it said a little note on it that says wow inside it was a letter from that fan and he and what had happened is the guy suffered from depression and he was really struggling and his father had died and in the same week his father had died his brother and sister-in-law they'd had a baby he'd had this terrible sadness about his dad dying and then this pang of happiness and he couldn't reconcile his feelings and so he Commit, he decided to, to take his own life. And what he did, he this is the 90s, he didn't have the internet to kind of go to to work out how to do it. So he bought a book and then he worked out how to put the pipe in his car and he closed the garage door and he's like, I don't really want to die. And it happened to be a Wednesday, right? So on that Wednesday, he went to comic the local day. comic store because Wednesday's new comic day. And he thought, I'm going to read comics and I'm going to basically take my own life in the car. He gets his stack of comics. Turns out Hellblades was one of his favorites. So he opens my comic first. He starts reading it. And it just so happened, by complete luck, that my story that month was about families that experienced death and life in the same, in the same moment. And it was all about like, the connection that we have to life and death and the cycle. And he turned his engine off. So because of the lucky thing of me writing that book and him reading it at that moment, he decided not to end his own life. The weight of that knowledge and the responsibility that I've always felt towards fans is huge. So understand that, like, fan fandom can have these amazing, positive things that that are supposed to be there for us. We're supposed to connect to others. We're supposed to see our own humanity in the in the in the entertainment that we explore. All of these things are amazing, right? we shouldn't necessarily always be looking at toxic fans and their behavior with with anything more than a little bit of like humility and a little bit of compassion and saying i understand why these people are acting like that people are scared people are worried we're living in covid the world is crazy russia has invaded ukraine like we we want entertainment to escape
0: mm-hmm.
3: and the and the biggest part of this is when the people who know better, the people that have an agenda, they walk into these toxic fan environments with with some guy like that and tell him, yeah, go kill yourself, loser. That's no good. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not the it's not the fans. We're all vulnerable. And a lot of the people that you find in the Star Trek community, in the Star Wars community, comic books, Doctor Who, pick one, are kind of outsiders, man. They're, 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 they're You know, people that love things because it it speaks to their difference, right? So, you know, we should be looking at fans and their vulnerabilities and always have a sense of responsibility to them as creators, I think, right? What we should be really putting under the microscope is people that that treat those fans badly. That's what we should be looking at. Not the people that treat them well, but the people that manipulate them because there's Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's such a close connection between Marshall Applewhite and and Jim Jones, the people that led to mass suicides in Guyana, or mass murders—you could call it, right? And and these narcissistic sort of like leaders, these demagogues, these leaders like Putin that that like kill people just because they want something, and people that go into fan groups and start messing those fans around. The fans are the vulnerable people, and we yep. should be looking at that, right? There's a lot of positivity in fandom. In fact, m- most all of it is—it can be really positive. And the part where it goes awry is almost always led awry by a bad actor and that's the thing that we mm. need to look at we don't need to kind of complain about other fans right. even if they're behaving badly. we need to look at who's responsible for it
2: sure the other thing is too like the the incidents in um, autism and adhd in um, science fiction and fantasy fandom is no joke like it's for real they show up and it is um, moderated the way that I interact with fans at, at conventions. Um, it it's, it's difficult. Um, especially if you're, um, you, you're, you're, not used to it, what's going on. Someone will have too many people around them and they will get nervous and they will act out. Um, a lot of it is, you know, absolutely at all times keeping your hands to yourself because you never know how stimuli is going to affect somebody. Um, yeah. And I feel exactly what you're saying because it's, it's those fans tend not to be the problem. It's, it's the people that, that can bring them in and, yeah. and turn them, turn them in, turn them into useful idiots. Right. Yeah. Like just like you're on my side and, and we're, now it's tribal and now you're on my team until you're I, not,
3: I, and then you're the worst. I think fans are vulnerable quite often, right? People who have fandoms have their own little vulnerabilities and then they they connect together with other fans and then they are able to overcome their vulnerabilities. Yeah. It's really positive, right? So they also, like together they can also overcome the bullying. Do you know yes. what I mean? It's like
2: yeah. uh, both myself, my wife, we met as guests at a Star Trek convention. But there's a, a lot of the, these bad actors are the kids that were bullied. And mm. but they they didn't have um, that safe space or that relationship with other people where that was enabled, that enabled them to look at that behavior. Or and the say, empathy, the empathy yeah. in general, they just, just don't like, have the empathy. It's like, that sucks. I don't want that to happen to anyone. I would never do that to somebody else. But yeah. the people that don't learn that empathy and they don't feel that about other people, it turns every gathering of, of, of a geek thing into a target rich environment
3: for those yeah. people. And you're talking about vulnerabilities, right? So if you think about that particular guy, that guy had never been more vulnerable in his life than walking up to me with that book. Right. And he was terrified. He was terrified to talk to me. What if you I had rep- said the
2: wrong thing? Like, what if, what if I never just- would? <laughs> I mean, I, what if I had,
3: you're absolutely right, right? What, what if I had, you I never would? You didn't
2: have all the information at the very beginning.
3: Like you didn't No, but I never trial. would. I never would. I've, ne- I've never conducted myself with anything but complete love and respect for the for the fans, right? And that stood me in good stead. And I can I've got many reasons why. But think about that guy's that moment in that guy's life. He's super vulnerable, right? He couldn't have been more vulnerable and open to any human being. And he's he's coming to meet someone that represents probably the most pivotal moment of his life so far.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's
3: terrifying just- for him, right? Now, now I look at that, and and I've, I've got. Awful moment. Joe Casada, the editor-in-chief of of Marvel, and I were at a table in a bar one time, and a fan came over to us at San Diego, and he wanted to say, he said, Mr. Casada, oh, my God, you're like, you are my idol. And, Mr. Jenkins, you saved Marvel. The two of you saved Marvel. And as he came to shake our hands, he hit our pitcher of beer, and he covered the two of us with beer. (laughs) And I felt... (laughs) And it was this, and and he had brought his wife and his children over to meet us because he was so excited to meet us. And now the most devastating thing had happened that he had covered his heroes or whatever with beer. And Joe and I knew immediately, and I'm like, what can we do for this guy? Because we don't care. We got covered. We're like, hey, we do this all the time. And Joe threw his beer on me again. See, we do this because we're trying to make the guy feel like it. And he's devastated. i got to get you another picture. Now he's trying to clean it up with, with the wet napkins on the table. And as he's cleaning up, he's covering us with more beer. I mean, we know it's funny, but I felt so bad for that guy, right? Because he was just – this was a huge moment for him. And now he's screwed it up. And now what does he do, right? And he probably has nightmares about it to this day because it – so think about it. I, I just like the idea – that as we talk about like why toxic fandom is the way that it is, that we're not, we're not complaining about toxic fandom. Mm -hmm. What we're actually doing is trying to work out why is it happening? Because the whole point of this conversation is to shine a light on it and then help solve it. And the way that I think Mm -hmm. it is solved is by coming together and stop allowing those bad actors to tell us how it is. Don't let the politicians tell you why the things are the way that they are. I don't care which one it is just.
2: Yeah. You know. And that's that's the other thing too. It's it's hard to, um, you know, you you really have, have to have like that Ted Lasso factor, that Mister Rogers factor, where like you just need to lead with kindness and empathy all the time, and you have to be able to put the work in. When you when you see somebody getting getting beaten up by one of these bad actors, um, it's it's painful. It's painful to watch, and it's you, your first instinct is you know what. I eat really, really well. My cat eats the good stuff. (laughs) I've I've been, I've had a moderate success in my industry. I don't ever actually have to think about this person ever again, but if your empathy engine is broken, you won't, Mm -hmm. but if it runs, then you're like, okay, I'm willing to put the work in to help people not get beat up by this joker.
0: Well, and on that note, I want to give first to Fareed, because he hasn't spoken in a while. I want to give the soapbox to Fareed to say what your thoughts are on or or, or experiences you've had both with toxic fandom, but also positive things with fandom. And then to Becca, and then we'll kind of conclude with... A summary of what we've talked about, which I agree is how to fix it, right? How to how to make it better.
4: Fortunately, when it comes to my own personal experiences with toxic fandom, I haven't been directly involved in it, which is weird considering that I actually had a very public argument with the creator. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time you mention this, I just
0: laugh. It's just so right. weird.
4: Like, Jeff Davis publicly called me out. And even then, no one attacked me personally, because I think that they saw how petty he was being. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, uh, my only toxic uh, experience was that entire SD- SDCC thing with Jeff Davis, calling the geeky out and calling me out, and basically being petty about the entire thing, about hysteric shippers and whatnot. And yeah, I wasn't even I wasn't even there. I wasn't even present. I was on the other side of the globe, <laughs> but yeah, but it happened. So I'm like, you know what? Toxic fandom and fans fighting each other. We all know that. However, what are what is this particular part of a fandom to do when the creator, when creators themselves end up them being toxic towards the fans? Like, what then? Again, with the Jeff Davis thing. Basically, he doesn't like the direct shippers. He just doesn't even though the hysteric shippers are the biggest ship not only in Teen Wolf but basically one of the biggest ships when we talk about pop culture as a whole when it comes to tv shows so what is the hysteric fandom to do when when the creator Jeff Davis doesn't like them
0: yeah I mean I think that it's listen they're the creator and it's their work and there's nothing you can really do about it but I, I think that un... well maybe fortunately For fans, creators are learning that they can't just trash their fans, right? You can't make the thing that the fan or you can't or won't make the things that fans want to happen, happen. Fine, whatever. But the idea that you, that that creators are kind of above and beyond reproach is, it, it doesn't exist anymore. It, it It can't because the internet is so pervasive. So unfortunately, there's probably not much any fan or fan group or fans whatever can do when creators are like that, but calling them out for their bad because that that also that's being a bad actor. Like listen, saying, no, that's not my that's not my vision. That's not what I'm going to do. Like there, there's a way to approach it that is, you know, at the very least polite, not, I mean, look, again, like this is a situation we're talking about where Fareed had been writing about this show for a long time and this, this creator latched onto for whatever reason, our little website. I mean, geeky area is a little, but it's not IGN. It's not people. It's not whatever. Uh, but he latched onto, you know, these these thoughts, opinions, you know, wishes. And he took that to the next level by attacking a person and, and, and I guess it's kind of in a way similar to me being attacked just for writing for the geeky area who was started by, you know, Destiel shippers. It's, it's granted, those were fans that were at coming after me, but I, I, I do think that the, well, I, I do think there needs to be some understanding on the part of fans that like, just because you have a voice online, doesn't mean that anything's going to change. I think there needs to, on the other side of that, be an understanding from creators that, the internet gives fans a voice that they didn't have, you know, cause I know Jeff Davis was also really involved in criminal minds. Like mm-hmm. he probably would have got a bunch of shit for criminal minds 20 years ago. If or 15 years ago, whatever it, it, Look, if he wants shit for Criminal Minds, I will give him shit for Criminal <laughs> Minds. <laughs> Listen, that show's over and done with. Well. <laughs> you
4: know they're, they're, they're doing, doing a reboot. reboot. They're doing a
0: reboot. They're doing a reboot. I'll fuck him don't up. fuck up. Don't tell. Don't tell my stepkid. <laughs> you probably already knows. It's probably been on Tumblr. We already bonded. Okay. We already bonded about Matthew Gray Goobler. Oh, don't we all? Oh. Anyway, so so I I, I think that. You know, in a way, yeah, creators can also be bad actors because there's no no reason for a creator to latch themselves onto one particular critic's issues with them and to then go on to, you know, kind of poke at that critic specifically because they have more power, right? They have the power. So for them to use that platform to poke at one singular critic in, in a room full of press at SDCC, and also they were poking at a critic that wasn't even there, uh, <laughs> Jeff Davis. So, I, I, yeah, I think that I I think that there needs to be kind of a give and take on both ends from the fran- fan and creator perspective. I mean, at the very least, Reed, I'm I'm glad that you have not had a ton of really bad fandom experiences, and like I said, I haven't really either. But we were talking about the idea of the person who was bullied when they were young. Right. And how the person who is bullied, they either become the bully or become the person who manipulates and is a bad actor, or they're the opposite where they say, I, I can't, I would never do that because I've been there and not to like, pat myself on the back here, but I have my entire life, my entire adult life, I have gone out of my way to be that person who accepts everybody for who they are, no matter what, because I was that bullied kid. I was that kid who hid my star Wars books and notebooks and still got bullied for being a nerd and being a geek. And, you know, it, Having experienced that as a, you know, mostly middle schooler more than anything, but also the first couple years of high school, I can't imagine ever inflicting that on anybody else. And I think I probably, even if I hadn't been bullied, I don't think I still would have been that type of person, but I, because I was, I am so, so in tune with everybody belongs, Right. I mean, unless you're a misogynistic racist piece of shit, who's going to do the really bad things, everybody belongs. And being on the opposite end of that, it boggles my mind that there are people who aren't, I guess. I I mean, I think when we go back to the idea of how to battle, you know, toxic fans And I use that word almost like I'm I'm trying to use the word battle lightly because I don't necessarily mean go to war, right? I mean, you want to stand your ground, I think is probably a better way to put it. Stand your ground, be the person you are, uh, speak out against absolute injustice, right? These are the important things that I can think of off the top of my head. Right now, Becca, you haven't said anything in a bit. So, I mean, and I know all you're kind of in the same boat as me, as being a kid who is kind of maybe not bullied, but certainly sheltered.
1: Yes, I definitely was sheltered. I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of let my freak flag, freak flag fly, so to speak, from a young age um my parents taught me it was okay to be who i was they taught me it was okay to love what i wanted to love my dad was a big fan of star wars and star trek um and lord of the rings and so i grew up pretty young loving those things as well um you know i was allowed to express myself um i was made fun of and picked on a lot but because i was a fucking weird kid not necessarily because i was a fan um you know, and I I do get a little light jib, light light ribbing because of the K-pop thing. But you know, I, eh, you know, I'm a grown woman. I can do what I want with my grown woman money. Um, so I, you know, I just I I just try to encourage the younger people in my life, especially my little brother growing up. Because he's two years below me. Like, I do my best to encourage him to do what he wants to do and to love what he wants to love. So he also grew up very proudly flying his
0: little freak flag as well. I mean, listen, there's no stopping toxic fans or toxic. Like, yeah. they're, they're, pe- these yeah. people are always going to exist. These bad actors mm-hmm. are always going to exist. So I think that, I don't know, this is going to make it sound kind of cheesy,
1: but, like, I think that being reactionary in a bad way is really what gets these people stirred up. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know it. <laughs> you know it. Um, no. You know people love drama. They love, you know. So, I, and I'm one of those people who, whenever I see drama happening, I'm like, oh, interesting. But I don't like get involved. I watch it mm-hmm. from afar. But um, I think that instead of being so reactionary, we need to start teaching people from a young age, you know, or the young geeks growing up. Um, and it's hard to unlearn the othering. It's hard to unlearn the, you know, the us against them mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially, you know, when you know, the bullies and the, you know, it's very I don't I'm really sure what I'm trying to say. But yeah, it's, we have to unlearn the reactionary role and the incendiary role and instead take a step back and, you know, like we've done with body positivity or we've done with with gay rights and like we've done with trans rights sometimes we just need to meet with understanding we need to go forward with acceptance and love um even though it sounds kind of cheesy um and we also need to understand that not everything is written for us we need to stop being
0: so having such selfish thinking we have such ownership
1: Yes. And being so self-absorbed and narcissistic to the point where we believe that we own a media, um, but things mm-hmm. are not created for us. These creators share their love and their lives work with us. And we should be grateful that they do. Um, and sometimes it's hard because things happen in, you know, that they, they make a decision to have these things happen and we don't always agree with it, but at the same time, they have a reason for making that happen. Um, you know, and also at the same time, creators need to understand that there are some things that they do, Jason Rothenberg, um, where they need to learn from their mistakes, Jeff Davis, um, <laughs> and they do need they do need to have a more open heart to fans and to their issues, not necessarily changing their storyline or anything like that. But that yeah, so like I think
0: changing what they're going to do or what they've done, but but but, but not, not, open, re, not re, yeah. You know what I Honestly. Hmm?
2: They need to hire a good publicist. Yes, who who will yes. number one get them out of these fights when they're in them, stop them <laughs> from getting into these fights when they exist, because yeah. no one yes. wins. Like well, it, and it, here's
0: it, the thing: not everybody needs a good publicist. I mean, Paul has made it. I, I think Paul's made it very clear that he's been great with fans. It's, it's so I and, and I mean, I think to be honest, like. I'm not a huge creator, but like I think I've been great with like Ice and Fire Con fans, like my little sect of people. <laughs> people some people are good with it, some people are not. Jeff Davis and Jason, whatever the fuck his name is. Jason Rosenberg. <laughs> clearly, shit, clearly yeah. aren't. So yeah, I, I mean you're right. Like like if you can't if you can't handle yourself, if you can't control yourself, then you need to hire somebody who can say – What is it, job. Kanye.
1: What is it, Kanye says, I don't need a manager, I I cannot be managed. Oh, no, you need a manager.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but for them to get, but for them to have a PR team that's effective, they need to first realize that they are also a part of the problem.
0: Right. Yes. A thousand exactly. percent. They yeah. won't
4: accept that. Yeah, they won't accept that. The fans are the problem, the creators aren't. So no PR team for them. All right, I'm well. Just, I'm just
2: saying that there are people out there who make good money to mediate those experiences for you mm-hmm. if you can't control yourself. Like there, there's great examples of people in comics, you know, people I've never met. And just because of the stories, I don't want to, even though I adore their work. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. I would like somebody to just pull them aside. And this might come from like the studio at some point where a studio just sits there and just like, no, you don't get to do this anymore. We're going to set up a new deal with you because we can't have this going on with, we can't have you being a, a jerk face to everybody. It's not mm-hmm, good for us. Mm-hmm. I wonder mm-hmm. if that's going to be something the studios get involved with in the future. And I desperately mm-hmm. hope they don't. But maybe it's what needs to happen.
0: Okay. We're going to let Becca say goodbye because she has to go. But uh, I, thank you for joining you us, bang. Becca. We can continue on. Bye. But yeah. thank you for your thoughts. Love you. Bye. Bye. It was nice talking to all of you. Thank Bye. you Bye. for giving me stuff to think about. Bye. All right. Bye. All right, so uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, continue if, if you. I didn't mean to. Yeah, the studio, the
4: studio involvement.
2: Yeah, yeah I, like I wonder if that's going to be just a thing that happens going forward. Um, Isn't it way kind that, of happening
4: with Disney, with the Leticia Wright thing, and the Gina Carano thing, where? The I don't is actually.
2: I don't actually know enough about Disney to say what happens over there. <laughs> so I, I, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah. But Are I, you seeing I, I, a red
4: dot? Are you seeing a red dot on the wall?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> if there were a red dot on the wall, I would like be holding up a little sign to the sniper that says like Dave Filoni rocks, right? Like that's that's what I would say if, if Disney were asking me questions. But like, no, I I I wonder if this is going to be a thing. I really hope it I hope it isn't because we would enter a world of a very um, I think a sterile environment that would actually lead to more people feeling badly about being fans of things because then the bad actors would get to control the entire discussion.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And also fans are smart. They can figure out whether or not a tweet is from a PR team or it actually came from the actual person.
2: The thing is like, again, like the other thing is too, like, All of this fan, all the fan experiences I've had in my life have been so cool, like by a tremendously huge factor. And it's not even people just like, um, you know, being nice to me, right? As much as I would love to narrow it down. Like I see a lot of these fans like out in their communities doing cool stuff. They're building Mm -hmm. rockets, they're doing amateur radio, they're flying planes. Like they are learning from each other and they're doing amazing things. And that is wonderful. And I want to give those kinds of projects, the most traffic I can as a creator or as a producer. You know, I want to drive people to the people doing good things and away from the people doing bad things. I, mm-hmm. I am one person, but I think a lot of us can do this.
3: Yeah, I I, I know that Um, I was recently researching a bunch of stuff and you know, relatively sort of negative stuff. And I was doing research. I was going back into old uh, news groups from the late 90s. Those was like <laughs> rec arts, whatever, right? As I'm looking at these news groups and I realized, hang on a minute, those news groups seemed familiar to me there was a marvel one and i didn't even remember that i'd actually been a participant in them um because i don't do that that much but i for for some reason for about six months of my life i got a wild hair i decided i was going to join in and do these news groups and it was right at the time when i was doing these you know the inhumans and these big but so everything was exploding right and i was part of this whole news group and and I found something that I'd forgotten about. So while I was researching the worst, most awful behavior, um, I found this example of something that had happened to me. And it was happening with fan groups. And I was like, and it was awesome. It was really awesome. And the, the upshot of it is this. As a single guy, quite often I would like to find charitable things. Because I, I just used to do, I used to love Make-A-Wish. I love making it. It's yeah. my jam even now, even nowadays, right? Like terminally your children and I'm not going to talk about it because I'll get emotional because they're all really sad and they're beautiful and it's, it's awful. Right. But in all of this, I've found where I lived, I was sort of just about to move down to Georgia and I was sort of on the way and I found an orphanage near where I lived. Right. And I've, I've always mentored like, um, foster children and stuff. like that. I've always done that stuff because, you know, i come from a pretty challenging environment. And so um, I found this orphanage, and they, they would say, you can have a kid. And I got this kid called David, and they're like, you can only give him up to $200 worth of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then I bought him a bike, and I just bought, like, loads and loads of stuff for this kid. And I go to the orphanage to the thing to give him his stuff. So everybody did that, right? Everybody was just loading these kids up because they're orphans. And there was one little kid, and his name was Rakeem. And he was—he had an M&M's character and he had little tears coming out of his eyes and he was chewing on the edge of the M&M's character because his sponsor hadn't really understood it and she had given him a container for his toys. That's it. She gave him one container for the toys that he didn't fucking have. And I was pissed. (laughs) I was like, come on, lady. So I go over to this kid, Rakim. I'll cut it short. I go over to this kid, Rakim. I'm like, are you Rakim? And he's like, yeah. And I said... Oh, I got a message for you. Um, I know Santa personally, and he's like, bullshit. And I said, yeah, I know Santa. He fixed in the summer. He's a plumber, and he fixed my washing machine. And the kid's like, well, sounds plausible. (laughs) So I tell him, yeah, yeah. So he told me that he delivered all your stuff to someone in Japan, and he can't get it back now. So he told me to tell you that that he's going to send it all over to me again. And I found out what he liked. I went online to the Marvel fan community and I said, hey, Marvel fans, do you guys want to get together for this little kid, Rakeem? And they sent in Nintendo Game Boys, Pokemon stuff. This kid, I drove up to the orphanage in South Carolina with a truck full of stuff that the Marvel fans had all donated, right? And they were just, and it was for the, all of the orphans and everything. It was, a, it was the most cool, amazing, positive experience. I'd actually somewhat forgotten about it and I found it sitting in that rec arts comics thing and i'm like look you know like as much as we can see this stuff it gets me to that point of the conclusion which is the answer of this is that we are all supposed to come together if you want to fix politics right now you better come together if you want to fix toxic fandom you better start coming together on the things that you love if you don't do it it's going to get worse we're either going to come together and solve the problems of politics or solve the problems of COVID, or so or we're not Right. Mm-hmm. You, got two paths. you can see which way we're going. We take that path. We'll be OK. We take that path. We're going to be fucked. Right. So I think it's about time that we look at this toxic fandom thing and we say, well, I know what the solution is, which is to get Republicans and Democrats, cats and dogs, blue and red, Arsenal and Tottenham fans, get all these, put them all together and say, you got to get along because if you don't get along, t- take a look at Ukraine. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I think is next. And that's what part of my mission is, is to, you know, you stand up to the to the bad people and you you make sure that you get people together, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, for real. Um on that note, uh Emmett Freed, any last thoughts?
2: If you'd like together and you're a like to get together and you're a Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. you should check out TrekFan.org. We're about fifteen thousand people strong now.
0: I mean, listen, if you're a Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones fan, come to Ice and Fire Con, because we are very tiny. (laughs) We were growing exponentially, but then COVID happened, and now this is our April... Uh, is our first year back in person so we have limited the number of tickets because I'm trying to I mean we've got vaccines or vaccines or a negative COVID test is already required etc but we're still limiting the number of people who can attend but at the same time like I don't want this to turn into I'm talking about myself thing but I, I, in a way I'm not because this isn't something I'm saying this is something I have been told over and over again by the people who attend my convention is that when they come to my event, they feel like they're at home. Everybody is accepting. Everybody is kind. Everybody is friendly. You can come by yourself. And by the end of the weekend, you'll have a hundred new friends. Right. And I think that like, that's the environment. I always looking back on my childhood, mostly middle school, and then maybe early high school a little bit. I, I always felt like I was the person who had friends, but was left out. And I didn't create this because of that. I created, this, I created this convention because there was a lack of, you know, conventions at the time for Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. It was like right after the show first aired. And my goal was to create an environment where people felt this way, right? They felt that they could come in and come by themselves. And no matter who they were, they would make friends and be welcome. And I've been very proud. Of this thing that I have created and continued to foster. And I I've refused, I've, I have refused to allow it to become clicky. Or, you know, and the, we talked about the, yes, I am the organizer, but I abstain by my own choice from online fandom and whatnot, because I don't want to be seen as this big personality that does this convention and also is like this big name in online, et cetera, et cetera. I, and, and I think that there, there's there, there always has to be that give and take, right? To be a creator or a webcast host or a writer or a producer or whatever, but also understand the importance of the fandom as a whole, that you are not the center of that fandom. You never should be because it is, it, you know, the, the, the group thinking and everything, it it can be bad, but if it's done positively, it can also be good. I think.
2: I think, I think you're right on the money. Like, as long as you are aware of the way that the way these things can break down um, and you devote yourself to to knowing how it gets played, um, then I think it's it's it's. It, yeah, even the dog agrees with me. It's fantastic.
0: She does. That's Ellie. She's. I don't know what she's barking at. <laughs>
2: I don't know either, but I love Ellie already.
0: <laughs> OK, so on that note, anybody have last thoughts before I close it out?
2: Uh, does anybody want to fight? <laughs> We're going to fist fight. Yeah. Like, can we really be talking about gig things on the internet without having some <laughs> meaningless throwdown? I know, right? I, yeah, I, 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 I really I enjoyed doing this. This is great.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, what I wanted to do here was bring together a bunch of people who have had negative experiences, but also are positive people who I think can make a difference or have tried to make a difference. So I, I mean, really thank you guys so much for joining in. Thank you to Becca and Emmett and Freed and Paul for joining me and to everyone who tuned into this episode. You can follow me across the web at a geek saga for updates on when you can catch future webcasts and podcast episodes. You can follow Emmett at M underscore initiative. Becca was at Starshine on Fire. Freed is at Tempest071990. And, Paul. You can just not
3: find him. <laughs> yeah, you can find me. i just, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. online. I'm, pre- I'm pretty easy to find online. I'm Paul's at my Paul Jenkins. <laughs> I think I'm at my Paul Jenkins on Twitter, and I got a cool really project coming up. By hour, the way,
2: our Paul Jenkins.
3: Yeah, not he yours. Also, yeah, it's not ours. It's my Paul Jenkins. It's, it's, it's mine. I got a cool project. We just announced it today. Actually, we're doing a project. Uh, it's the 30 year anniversary of, of Baby Got Back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding, and so we're doing a project with Sir Mix-a-Lot, which is really funny. He's a great dude, and a lot of that stuff is about body positivity, which cracks me up. Uh, So,
0: yeah,
3: it's really about like um, my wife. Love of my life is, is sort of like has an acetal deficiency, she has no acetal, right? And so she, but you play that song and she's like, Oh, yeah, I got back. <laughs> Off she goes, right? But, so, uh,
0: you you call her something specific on your Ny Perfect. My wife yeah. is Ny
3: Perfect, Ny Perfect, yes, nigh-perfect. I love it, I love yeah. it, I love it. Yeah, I
0: hope to, I hope to meet her someday because yeah, you
3: will, you yeah, talk about her. <laughs> next Dragon Con, I'm sure she'll come down and ni Perfect will make a signature appearance and then disappear, yeah. yeah, yeah, all right
0: all right well on that note thank you guys so much for joining me and so again follow me at geek saga to get your updates and have a lovely evening bye thank you for listening to the geek saga podcast if you like what you heard please check out other geek saga entertainment endeavors including the sagas and sass webcast and podcast and ice and fire Con.